We're going to be talking about Baptist history tonight. Now I've taught quite a few classes on Baptist history. This is the, the largest, longest, most um, information-filled uh, set of church history classes that I've done since I taught in the seminary, but they weren't recorded. These are. These are recorded for you out there wherever you are. And church history is very important. Marilyn, uh, that was one of the most exciting classes you ever had, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Church history. I like that. Yeah, she really liked church history. She, uh, some of the first classes that I ever heard, that she ever heard me teach was Greek and church history. And when we started seeing each other, she was a Methodist, but she was coming to a Baptist church, but she was a Methodist because of her family, that's the way she was raised, raised etc. And she was baptized as a Methodist. And, and Anyway, uh, she came to my classes and before long she started hearing me teach. And, and I only taught 16 classes, but she took two or three of them, 16 uh, messages in each class. But they covered the same material. This material we've done a lot of classes. I don't know how many classes this is, I forgot to look but it's close to a hundred and we've covered a lot of church history. I use as a basic textbook John T. Christian's class and let's see it's down here someplace. You might there it is. I've got so many books up here. It's The History of the Baptist by John T. Christian. And the reason why I use it as my textbook, I have a, a whole wall full of church history classes. You see all of them over there, girl? All the way from there, all the way bottom, which probably represents 500 books at least, plus I have more that I haven't put up yet. And it's a lot uh, to study, but I have read them. But John T. Christian is one of the most fabulous writers of church history in all of them. Everything that he does, he just gives you the information and you look at it. He covers all this information and then he gives you all of his sources and the page numbers and he won't take something out of context either. It's all in context. Now Sharon, you've got a, a degree where you can teach, don't you? You can teach. Yes. You've got a teacher's credential. And you, you have taught, you have spoken in churches all over the place, I know. You get up and meet uh, and lead women's groups and, and different things. You're working uh, at this time in that, what is that called? Uh, Bible Study Fellowship. Bible Study Fellowship. International. <laughs> and the BSF. Yeah, BSF. Uh, yeah. And she's doing that and, and she's just constantly teaching, studying. She's been my student for 12 years. And she studied Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology, God's eternal purpose and everything. And she's going to tell you how, how this study has affected her thinking in a few minutes. And Marilyn, I know you just said right now you wouldn't be anything but a Baptist, would you? No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't be anything but a Baptist. Your family were Lutheran and Methodist. And uh, you had one aunt that was a very, very uh, combatant Methodist, you might say. 
I remember when we when she first saw me, she said, You're a Baptist, huh? I said, Yes. I was being very nice to her. She was over a hundred years old. And uh, and I'm not nice to elders anyway, as you know, Marilyn, all the time. But she said, I went to a Baptist one church church time and I saw him baptize somebody and made me want to throw up. Well, baptism is one only one form. Everything else but immersion is not baptism. Simple as that. Baptists have died for that over all these years. What we teach and what we do today, are we are, real Baptists are particular what baptism they take. The word Baptist means, it comes from the word Anabaptist or Anabaptist, and that means rebaptizers. The Baptists did not accept anyone else's baptism. They say that we come from the Lord, Matthew 28, 18-20, Matthew 16, 18, and we have this lineage of baptism all the way down to our churches. And we want to make sure that whatever we have, whatever baptism we accept or we give is valid baptism from that historical foundation. We baptize believers, not babies. We baptize believers. Believers are the only ones that can be baptized because they're the only ones that can believe. You're baptized because you have repented and you've asked the Lord to save your soul. You're baptized because of that. Now, Sharon and, and Marilyn, both of you, I baptize you by the authority of a New Testament church. You all, you, you were baptized how many times, Sharon? Four altogether. Four times. Marilyn, three times. Mm -hmm. I've been baptized two times. I went and joined a Baptist church one time that didn't want to accept anybody else's baptism. I said, that's fine. Don't bother me at all to be baptized. Again, I'm an Anabaptist. That's what I am. I'm an Anabaptist. Well, as I've introduced Sharon to you now, she has been an inspiration to me in her studies and how that she studies for her classes, how earnestly she studies the scriptures to know God better, and now how she's studying history and learning in the last month you have learned a lot about church history. Yeah. I gave her a set of these books by John T. Christian. Now she hasn't looked at all. She's heard me teach for 12 years. And so I've added this in my classes here and there and everything. And now you're finding the original sources. It's different when you find the original sources. Sometimes you can get up and say anything in the world, but when you see the sources and you see the historical accounts, the people that died, the very names, what year they died, what happened to those people, why, how that they stood with their lives for the truth, it really affects your heart. Sharon, come and tell us what you've learned. Well, I've learned a lot, and I'm going to start at the very beginning of, of church history, which is our Lord's um, command to us. And I'm, I'm just going to be reading excerpts from this book, from John T. Christian's book, um, and then maybe commenting on it. And that's bit. volume one. Yeah, volume one. So this is the very beginning. Um, and this is quoting our Lord Jesus. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. Amen. And that's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And under the terms of this commission, Jesus gave his churches the authority to evangelize the world. And uh, talking about his churches, what is his church? And what page are you on, Sharon? Thirteen. Thirteen. Thank you. Um, a New Testament church is a company of baptized believers voluntarily associated together for the maintenance of the ordinances, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things here is that they're voluntarily associated together. And through history, we know a lot of people were forced to be in a church. You know, like a prince said, we are now Lutheran, so everybody had to be Lutheran, whether that was your belief or not. The New Testament churches are voluntarily associated together. And I thought that was kind of an important point. And the condition of, of membership for a church our repentance, faith. Page you're on now. Um, sixteen. Sixteen. Repentance, faith, righteousness, and the initiation, initiatory. I got here it says rite of baptism, which was symbolic of a changed life, because we are dead to our sins and then risen again. Okay, on page um, 28, one of the earliest and most hurtful errors was the dogma of baptismal regeneration. And that is that baptism itself forgives your sins, not Jesus, not as coming as a sinner, repenting going to the Lord, asking for forgiveness. That's when you're saved. And then it's only saved people who are baptized. There's a little space and time between the two. And the idea that baptismal regeneration is a baptism itself that saves you. That's why people would want to force people to be baptized or force babies to be baptized because they think that act is saving them when it's not. It's the believing and, and the repenting that saves you. Okay, on page 41, it says, again, forced religion is no religion at all. And unfortunately, the successors of Constantine, who was the emperor who made Christianity, took the whole Roman Empire and made them Christian, from his time, which is in the 300s, um, to the and, and Theodosius the Great, which is 385 to 395, they enforced the Christian religion to the exclusion of every other, and not only so, but they enforced the so-called orthodoxy to the exclusion of every form of dissent, which was punished as a crime against the state. So there was no voluntary anything here. 
I mean, it was forced. It was the law, and if you didn't do it there, it was their way or the highway. It was, and this was Catholicism. Yeah, and this was the beginning of Catholicism, and then I guess also Orthodoxy. But it, there was no. It wasn't a matter of your conscience. It's. It wasn't between the sinner and the savior. It was a matter of law and politics, and that's where it all went, cockywampus. Okay, on page 44, um, one of the very first splits um, in Christendom was the rise of the Novation churches. And what happened there was, and this was even before Constantine, this was when being a Christian was illegal in the Roman Empire. But what happened then, which is about the year 250, um, there was trouble in the churches, and some of them were getting to be kind of liberal or very lax in their discipline. And um, some of the other people wanted to stick to the apostles' teaching more strictly. And it, there was an election for uh, a pastor of a church in Rome. And, and I'm just going to, I'll just read this passage here. The rise of the Novation churches was another outcropping of the old strife between the lax and the strict discipline. In the year 250, Novation strenuously opposed the election of Cornelius as the pastor of the Church of Rome. Novation declared that he did not want the office himself but he pleaded for the purity of the church. The election of Cornelius prevailed, and the and Novation carried many churches and ministered with him in, with him in protest. There was a split in, in the churches there. And the Novation churches continued to flourish in many parts of Christendom for six centuries. So that takes us up to like the 850s. Now, one of the groups um, that arose um, in, in history were the Don Donatists. Donatists, is that how you say it? Right there. Yeah. See there? Don See ovations and then Donatists. The Donatists, and, okay. The, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, the Donatists. Yeah. And they um, started in Namibia, which is in Western Africa and in, around the year 311. And they soon extended all across Africa. And that, their teachings continue, you know, for well, way, way, way in here. I mean, they, and they just went all the way through Africa. If you remember um, in Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by Philip? Yeah. Philip. And then he went back to Ethiopia, and he brought Christianity to Ethiopia. So this started, you know, in the days of the apostles, Christianity was going to Africa. And, and if you really take a map, and you look at where Namibia is way over here, and then we'll talk about the Paulicians. Oh, wait a minute. I'm doing it backwards for you. But Namibia is all way over here in Africa, and then you all the way up to here where the Paulicians were, and then up here in England. I mean... Christianity had spread, had, had a huge, huge spread. And I was just thinking in terms of, I mean, this is quite amazing, and our God is wonderful. Okay, 40, page 47. Um, 
Oh, when the Donatists, uh, Donatist bishop, his name was Pertillian, and he wrote to August, uh, uh, wrote against whom, uh, let me try to try this again. The Donatist bishop Pertillian in Africa, against whom Augustine wrote, appealed to Christ and the, um, and the apostle, apostles who never persecuted. And here, here's a quote they wrote. Thank you, he says, to serve God by killing us with your hand? Ye err, if ye, poor mortals, think this, that God has not hangmen for priests. Christ teaches us to bear wrong, not to revenge it. And the Donatist Bishop Gaudentius said, God appointed prophets and fishermen, not princes and soldiers, to spread the faith. And I think that's just... That cost them a lot of lives. Yeah, but I think that is so important. You know, Jesus did not go to the high and mighty. He went to the simple. Um, now, and then there are, there are many other groups who also were not part of uh, the Catholic Church, were not part of the Orthodox Church. That They had a, they traced their roots back to the apostles. And there's a whole chapter with their names that I'm skipping here. Okay, well, they're, they're all right Yeah, they're, they're all right here. The, the uh, pattern needs the, um, well, I, I am going to talk about the Cathari. Um, in Armenia, Armenia, I'm going to talk, I mean, there's many, many groups. But the next one I'm going to talk about are the Paulicians. I'm on page 49. And the Paulician churches were of apostolic origin and were planted in Armenia. You figure out how far Armenia is from Namibia here. I mean, this is huge spread. With the same thought and the same principles. The same basic, um, well, I guess principles would be the word. Same faith. And, but they're way over in a different area. Um, the Paulician churches were of apostolic origin and were planted in Armenia in the first century. So this is in the time of, of Paul, in the time of the apostles. And I'm quoting here, Through Antioch and Palmyra, the faith must have spread into Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia and Persia, and in those regions became the basis of the faith as it spread up, to, uh, up in the Taurus Mountains as far as Ararat. And... The reason that this group of people were called Paulicians is because they had the complete writings of Paul. And I think maybe they didn't have some of the others. But anyway, they were really devoted to Paul's writings and knew them by heart. And this was the basis of their lives, the simplicity of their lives, the purity of their lives. And the, this group of people, way over in Armenia... Um, well, for a while they actually politically had a, a mini-kingdom and then somebody else took over and they were kicked out. And then a lot of those people went all the way up into Italy, into France, and um, so, yeah, southern France and became what is called the Cathari there. Now I'm going to page 52. Um, and it, it was in the uh, country of the Albigenes and the southern provinces of France that the Paulicians were most deeply implanted. And here they kept up a correspondence with their brethren in Armenia. 
And that's a, you know, in those days it's a long ways to get a letter. No email. <laughs> and um, the faith of the Paulicians lived on in Languedoc and along the Rhine as the, the submerged Christianity of the Cathars, and that's the Cathari, and perhaps also among the Waldenses. And these are groups of people went by different names, the, uh, um, the uh, Albigenses, they were named because they were more centered in the city of Albi. And that's, I guess, in also in southern France. But they are also up into Italy. I mean, they were spread. This thinking is spread. Like I said, it's all the way from our, um, Armenia. But now they got different leaders, and now they're taking different names because of the regions where they're prominent. Some of these names went yeah. from language to language. Albigenses mean yeah. white people or pure people, yeah. from the Puritans and the Cathars. Yeah, it, it's yeah the idea of they want a pure church because the Catholic Church. I mean, they they started adding things, and they started. Um, I don't know if by this time they were doing the saint worship and all that. United Church and State. Yeah. Later. Later. Yeah. Yeah. Later on, they'll have indulgences, purgatory. Yeah. And then they're Saint adding all these things, which, which was not at all in the, in the New Testament. They're adding on, the, the Catholic Church is adding on to the, the true faith. And then they're twisting the meanings of some, some things. And the, these people said, no, that's not right. That's not what we were taught, and that is not what the Bible teaches. And so they stood against that, and they were persecuted for it. Okay, on page 54, in Italy, this group of people were called the Paternines, and the Cathari, and in Germany, the Gazari, and in France, they were called the Albigenes, and they were also called the Bulgarians, <laughs> particularly in France, because a lot of that thinking were from people who were against emigrated from Bulgaria and then went into southern France. And they also went by the name of Boni Omins, which means good men. And their enemies, even their enemies, many of the writings that we have that uh, is from their enemies who are talking about them, but even their enemies extolled their piety. And a succession of them found uh, is found throughout the Middle Ages. These people, I mean, all through these centuries, these same groups of people survived. I'm going on to page 55. And it says, turning to the doctrines and practices of the Paulicians, we find that they made constant use of the Old and New Testaments. They had no orders in the clergy as distinguished from laymen in their modes of living, their dress, or any other things. They had no councils or similar institutions. Their teachers were of equal rank. They strove diligently for the simplicity of the apostolic life. And they opposed all image worship, which was practiced in the Roman Catholic Church, because they began to go to statues. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church did um, icons. And then they got, you know, started doing the veneration of the bones of saints, so-and-so. We've got the thigh bone or the knee bone or the ankle bone of such-and-such such a saint. And they would do pilgrimages. I mean, it was 
not biblical. Um, the miraculous relics were hit heaps of bones, as far as they were concerned, and ashes, and destitute of life and virtue. They held to the orthodox view of the Trinity and of the human nature and substantial suffering of the Son of God. Baptist views prevailed among the Paulicians. They held that men must repent and believe, and then at a mature age ask for baptism which alone admitted them into the church. It is evident, observes Moshim, that they rejected the baptism of infants. They baptized and rebaptized by immersion. They would have ta been uh, taken for downright Anabaptists, and this is, be this is a time before they were being called Anabaptists, but in their doctrine and in their practice it was the same. Page 75. Okay, I am. This is about the Waldensians, and they're uh, sort of a, a, another name for the same group of people who were sort of outside the Roman Church, uh, you know, very devoted to Christ. And this is what their enemies wrote about them. It, it says, Their heresy accepted. They generally live a purer life than other Christians. They never swear except by compulsion and rarely take the name of God in vain. They fulfill their promises with punctuality and live for the most part in poverty. They profess to observe the apostolic life and doctrine. They also profess it to be their desire to overcome only by the simplicity of faith, by purity of conscience and the integrity of life, not by philosophical niceties and theological uh, subtleties. He very candidly admits that in their lives and morals they were perfect, irreprehensible, and without reproach to men, addicting themselves with all their might to observe the commands of God. I mean, these are like pretty cool people. I mean, they're they weren't, and this is what their enemies say about them. So if they say that about them, that's high praise. Okay, on page 83, um, we're getting into the Anabaptists. And it says, the Baptists have a spiritual posterity of many ages of liberty-loving Christians. The movement was as old as Christianity, and the Reformation gave an occasion for a new and varied history. So this is all, all what I've talked about before was before the Reformation, which proves the point, which I learned from Dr. Jim, that Baptists are not Protestant. They were way before. They have an apostolic roots, solid apostolic roots. On page 95, um, we get into the Mennonites, and the, the Mennonites were Anabaptists, and then there's a guy named Menon, and this is his group, and so they're called Mennonites. And anyway, I'm talking about them. Uh, they are descended from a toler tolerably pure evangelical Waldenses who were driven by persecution into various countries and who during the later part of the 12th century fled into Flanders 
and into the provinces of Holland and Zealand, where they lived simple and exemplary lives in the villages as farmers, in the towns by trades, and free from the charge of any gross immorality, and professing the most pure and simple principles which they exemplified in holy conversation. Now these people came from Armenia or Turkey. They were driven from there by the Muslims. Yeah, a lot, yeah. yeah. The Catholics chased them, and then the Muslims began to chase them. And they went up to the, the valleys of the Piedmont, and there the Catholic Church found them later on and killed everyone they could kill. And they say that they had some of the original scriptures, the autographs from Paul, and that how they, they call the Paulicians there. One preacher came in there, that name was Constantine, not Constantine the emperor, but he had all the scriptures, and they copied all of them there, and these Paulicians spread and were driven all the way into Europe, all over. But they were they were from the seven churches of Asia, basically, that, that area. And during the Reformation, um, you think, well, it's the Reformation. You know, a lot of people are coming out against the Catholic Church and some of the really bad practices of that time in the Catholic Church. And you think, well, that you know, maybe this would cut them some slack. Oh no, <laughs> that is not what happened. Because during the Reformation, many of the different groups, they all joined together in persecuting the Baptists. Um, one of the things that the other groups were against the Baptists for was because the Baptists did not practice infant baptism. And the other groups, the other Protestant groups who had broken away from Catholicism, they had picked up infant baptism in Catholicism, so, and they brought that with them in their new groups. And so the Baptists were still being persecuted and viciously persecuted and, you know, killed dead dead um, by these reformers, which I, is just really appalling to me. And they were really against them for preaching bab true baptism is by immersion because they had taken again out of the Catholic Church the sprinkling and the pouring as they, they considered baptism the initiation rite of Christianity rather than what it says, baptism immersion. And so they, that's, and they were killing people over this point. And, but one of the main reasons they were killing them was for being a threat to the powers of the shifting loyalties because, you know, this prince would, you know, join the Catholic Church and then this other prince over here would, um, you know, side with Luther or Zwigli or all these other reformers. And so wherever you lived, that's what you were supposed to be if your prince changed his mind. It had nothing to do with your conscience, what your, your real belief was. I mean, so there was no freedom whatsoever, or freedom of conscience, which is always a huge point of the Baptist. Is there should be no force. It should be persuasion, teaching and persuasion that will convert a person and, and the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Not, you know, some prince saying, do this or, you know, I'll kick you out of my principality or I'll cut off all your livelihood or you know, all these things. This was never ever meant to be. And that's as far as I'm going to be talking today.
about what I've been learning in this um, from this book and from these classes, um, and it is just. I think one of the, it's just appalling to me how people who all profess the name of Christ were just killing one another. Now the Baptists never killed anybody. <laughs> they wanted to just live in peace and they would talk to people about why they believe what they believed, but in a more humble manner. Um, one of the really interesting things I, I did learn is that Rembrandt was a Baptist. I'm done. Wait a minute. Oh. You gotta put down one thing you told me. Oh. Infant baptism and forced baptism cheaped cheapened the gospel. Oh yes. I thought I had that. But yes, it does. It cheapens the gospel because how can you 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 didn't believe you were, if something was done to you as an infant, the, where is the interaction between the the soul and and the Lord? There is none. It, it, it's something that was done to you. Or the forced baptism, when they take the whole town out, march them through the river, and say, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or shall I slit your throat now? That is not true faith. There is no, it's not a believer's baptism. Nobody's believing. They're just trying to save their life if they say yes. So it cheapens the whole thing, rather than it to be... One, of, one thing I learned years ago is one of the, the earliest prayers in the Christian church was called the Jesus Prayer. And it is simply, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that simplicity of a sinner pleading to the Lord for mercy because you know you're a sinner, I mean, that gets lost in all these things when, when it's forced or a child. You know, oh yeah, you were baptized way back when. You know, so, oh, I guess I'm this, you know, I'm Presbyterian or I'm Catholic or because it was something done to you. It was no choice, free choice of your soul. And so all of this happened about the time Muhammad come along. And Muhammad yes. called, copied the Catholic yes. Church yeah, right up there in 570. Yeah, he's here. Yeah, right between 5 and 680, just before 680, 570. He copied the Catholic Church and began to make conversions by force. Yeah. In spite of what their doctrines say, they do make conversions by force because he saw that people weren't being convinced that he was the prophet of God, so he went out with a sword and said, you either I'm a prophet of God or you're dead. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much what, what they did in Europe, either, you know, you're a Lutheran now, you might have been a Catholic yesterday, but we're all Lutherans today, or we're all Calvinists today. I mean, it, it, and these people killed each other in the name of our Lord. And that thing that I read earlier about how, I mean, this is not what Jesus wanted. Jesus told, to, told us to put up with people we didn't agree with, you know, or, or ignore them, but certainly not to kill them. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> Amen. When I was teaching in the seminary, I always called on my students to give a report of what they learned. And Marilyn, you're going to be next. Not tonight, but later. Okay? okay? You've made little comments out there. You're a Baptist by persuasion. 
etc., etc. You've been baptized three times, and uh, you've been baptized four times. I've been baptized two times. And we do this not to be repetition. How many times do you have to be baptized? Right once. Yes. But make sure that it's the right baptism, right? The authority, the church has the authority. The person that's baptizing you has authority. And it is a, a, it is a wonderful thing to follow in the doctrines of God's church is not in the doctrine of man. And the Baptists never had armies. They were uh, conscientious objectors in the armies. They paid their taxes. They did all of that. The only time Baptists ever fought was here in America, and they fought for religious freedom. And even the Constitution, they did not want to sign until they talked them into signing it and then putting in the amendments, the freedom of speech and freedom of religion. You wouldn't have that in America. You wouldn't have America today if it wasn't for Baptists. As simple as that. Our Father, we thank you for this message tonight. I thank you for sharing this. Lord shared with her thoughts and her beliefs now with the world. Father, thank you for all the blessings you give us. And help us to stand for your truths and your doctrines and teach them throughout the world that we might honor and glorify you, that we don't debate and fight to be fighting, that we just preach the word, that people accept it, they accept it, if they don't, that's up to you and them. Father, please forgive me where I fail you, in Jesus' name.